All right, so uh, how do we transition out of that? Well, just awkwardly. So left turn, right turn, here we go. So uh, let me tell you, um, I am starting a series today, and I was telling the pre-service prayer friends that this is what I feel like God is saying for 2021. We're not doing an official Vision Sunday like we normally do. We usually give like magnets and shirts and all this kind of fun stuff, and uh, we might do a magnet still. I don't know what it's going to say, but I feel like we've got to have one for this year in our collection if you've been around for a while. But uh, this is what I feel like the Lord's going. He's like, hey, you're here, and just keep following me, and wherever we stop is where we stop. I'm like, okay. This is a year, at least in my mind, of the uh, invisible bridge in Indiana Jones. So today we're taking step one, and catch me in March, I don't know what that step will be on. And I'm totally okay with that. I feel very confident the Holy Spirit is leading us, that Jesus is in charge of this church, and he's telling us what to do. And so today I want to sort of start the process of what I feel like he's uh, sharing in in me and for us and all of that. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew 16. I don't have it on the screen. Today we're going to be looking at the ESV. So we're going to do Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19, and then we're going to flip over to Matthew 18. And when I read these verses to you, you're probably going to have an assumption of what we're talking about today, which would be a great sermon, but not what we're talking about. So, uh, okay, is everybody there? Matthew chapter 16, 18 through 19. So a little context, Jesus, this is on the heels of Peter having the revelation saying, Jesus, you are the son of God. And Jesus looks at him and recognizes no one could catch that revelation unless God the Father himself put it in you. And the very next thing Jesus says is this, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Thank you, Lord. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That verse itself is a a word and a sermon for the moment that we're living in, but that's not where we're going with it. All right, flip over to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, we're going to look at 17 and 18. And Jesus again says, if he refuses to listen to them, and what he's talking about is people having a dispute between each other. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let, it be, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, let him be an outsider. If he's not going to listen to the church, let him be an outsider to you. And then he says the very next verse, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Okay, so these two verses are our scripture for this morning, and here's what I want you to see. In the entire New Testament... These are the two verses that use the word church. I found this a little uh, intimidating. Jesus says over 100, 162 times, uh, he uses the phrase kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God. So he's constantly talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the people of God, and twice he actually uses the word church. This word church here, you've probably heard this said and preached about before, is the word ekklesia. And ekklesia is a word that means community. It has no spiritual connotation in Greek. It is like milk, banana, tripod, ekklesia. Like, it's not like this word that means something magical. Do you know what I mean? I think sometimes when we look back, we go, ooh, ekklesia, that must mean something cool. No, it just was how they said community. And you and I both know community means a bunch of things. Community advocate, community... Um, church, community center, it could be a basketball court, it could be a gathering, right? It means a lot of different things. So two times Jesus uses the word church. 
And I got to thinking over this last year in 2020, what is church? Just on a fundamental level, what actually is it? Now, I know that we could list out and, and we would have a lot of thoughts about what it is. And a lot of our thoughts would probably be coming from scripture. And in particular, New Testament letters, which are also scripture, where Paul's instructing to the church. But I want to go even deeper than that and look at what is the church? I've been struck by this thought that here's Jesus, right? He comes to the earth as a Jew. He has to be born Jewish. He comes to the Jewish people with one thing in mind. Let me explain to you the second part of all of this you've been living, right? And so he comes as a Jew to the Jews, not intending to create a separate religion, okay? If you really look at the whole story, Jesus didn't show up to go, all right, peace out those of you who are Jewish. Now we're Christians and you can either come or not. No, no, no. He came to his family to explain to them the second thing they were missing. This is interesting. And so then after he goes up to the cross, that, then we get into sort of phase three. And these are huge phases if you're, you know, these are very general uh, but phase three is that, in fact, it's not just the Jews that are the family of God, it's everyone. And now everybody can come in. And I'm struck by this thought that Jesus comes as a Jew to the Jews with this very specific message to his people, and he's gathering people, and he's thinking very long term, right? He's thinking eternally, and he's gathering Peter, and he's choosing deliberately. I mean, these were not like, oh, who wants to come? Great, come on. No, he went to them. He went to Nathaniel. He went to Peter. He goes to James and John, and he issues this call. And so he clearly had a strategy, and at no point in the Gospels does he explain what we're supposed to do. I don't know about you, and I recognize that this might be a lot to think about, and I'm not trying to dismantle what church is per se. I'm just struck by this thought that, Jesus, where were you going with this? So we could say, well, you know, he meant for them to continue to go to the temple to worship. Maybe you could make a case for that, but that's not true because in our Revelation series, we looked at how he actually said, hey, this place is coming down in a period of years, right? So that wasn't the model. And then he also knows he's going to die. And if you look at it objectively, I'm sitting here going, oh, Lord, what were you trying to do? This is what I want us to explore today. What actually is church? I mean, on a very foundational biblical level, what is church? And why is church the center of our thinking as Christians today and not the kingdom of God? If we look at the New Testament, we've got two instances where he says the word church, and both of them, we just looked at them. This is not, I mean, this is revelatory stuff, but it's not uh, structural things, right? That you meet on Sundays, on this rock, Peter, you're going to build my church, and you're going to be the apostle, and everybody will be under you, and they're going to give you their money, and you're going to pay the bills. Like, that's not in there, right? So how, how, did, how did we get here? Why is church... And belonging to a church and being at a church, the center of our thoughts about Christianity and not the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, which Jesus clearly talked about a lot more. So in my questions, I've, I've been thinking, okay, so what is a church? Is it a hierarchy? Is it just a structure? Uh, is it, and this, this has been probably a seven-month journey for me, just in case you're wondering. Uh, is it an organizational structure? Is it a family? How many of you guys have heard? Church is a family. I've said it, right? Church is a family, but we don't really act like it. Because the second so you're like, well, you're not in my family. <laughs> that church is supposed to be my family? Not that I, no, I would never go there. 
Y'all know, you, you all think that way too. Or have thought that way is a better way to say it. So is it a family? I don't know. I mean, yes, at some level we could make that case, but this is what struck me. I think the church in Oklahoma, and let's just say Oklahoma City area, okay? So I'm going to include the greater Oklahoma City area when I say this. I think the church is more a club than anything else. And here's what I mean by that. When I was in college, I actually, before I tell you that story, I should say that I've always kind of had a lot of guy friends in my life. I've never really been like a girly girl. I'm not the kind of person that was like, you know, interested in, I mean, I didn't even wear makeup regularly till college. Okay, so that was just me. My mom would say to me, someday you're going to have to learn how to put on eyeliner. And I was like, that is never going to happen in my life. Thank you, mom. And I, I was in college. I cut my hair into the Halle Berry pixie cut. It was some of the best days of my life because all of the men know it's really easy to have very short hair. Um, you know, it's like every day you look great. You did nothing. It's amazing. And uh, so that was me. And when I was in college, God began to talk to me about this and, and talk to me about some of the, the deeper frustration I felt towards girls that were peers of mine. And that stems from some abuse I had. I'm not going to get into that now. But the Lord, I said, well, what do you want me to do about this, God? I was 18 years old. He said, I want you to join a sorority. <laughs> let, me, let me back up a little bit, Lord. I, I'm sorry. I thought, I thought you said join a sorority. That can't be you. Uh, what do you want me to do about this issue in my heart? He goes, I want you to join a sorority. Okay. So for someone like me, looking at a sorority was like looking at a den of thieves or something. Like, why would you go in there, right? And I'm just being completely honest. So uh, I, I, I was not happy about that. I prayed about it for a long time and very clearly felt like he said, no, you need to join the sorority. So I went through the process. I joined the sorority. I actually ended up really enjoying it by the end. I became the vice president. I had a great time, really enjoyed it. I still am friends with a lot of the ladies that I met there. And uh, here's what's interesting. In our sorority, and at that time at Baylor University, there were nine different sororities you could join, and each one had a personality. So we, I'm not going to tell you what their names were, but we had the one sorority where all the wild girls went. So these were girls that drank heavily, slept around, they did drugs on occasion, they were the, you know, that type of person. And they all became members of this sorority. And then you had those that looked like they were straight out of New York Vogue, straight-laced, very fashionable, long hair, always at the height of trends, beautiful girls, came from really wealthy families. And one of their hazing rituals was that you could never walk on the grass for six weeks. And I guess that was to show their superiority for us underlings that used the grass to cut through. I don't know. But that's what they did. And that was that type of group. And there was all these different personalities surrounding the sorority. And so then there was mine, which was sort of this middle point between some of the girls who wanted to be wild, but they knew it was wrong. And, so, and we were all just passionate women who have really amazing jobs these days and really just like to have fun, good fun. And, and, and a couple years ago, I was having a conversation with some friends that are a part of other churches. And we were talking about different things and it struck me and it broke me that the, the church in Oklahoma City is more like a roster of fraternities and sororities than it is like what's in the Bible. And I don't know if you've ever felt that way, and this is absolutely not a judgment upon anybody, but if you think about it, we are organized across the city by personality and skin color. There's amazing churches. There's a, a, a Hispanic church that's right over 240, right north of 240. It's like a couple thousand people. Incredible. They're Spanish-speaking church, right? They're Spanish-speaking church. Incredible church, right? They're organized around people who speak Spanish because it would be very hard to participate in a service if you don't. 
And then you've got churches that are the really cool people and you all know them and they're wearing the hats that are popular right now and their worship team is always the height of fashion and they've got all these really cool decor and they invest their money and time into that and I'm not faulting anybody for this. I want you to hear me, okay? Um, but that, and then you look around when you go there and you're like, well, these people are cool. I don't know if I could show up here without having my best clothes on. And then you've got the straight-laced groups of people, and then you've got like the hipster people uh, up on the north side primarily who are wearing certain clothes and having acoustic-style worship and candles going. And I mean, we all know this, right? And one of the things that's been breaking my heart, yeah, if you want to know where these churches are, come, come find me afterwards. I'll hook you up if you're like, I want to be a part of that. Um, but we, we've become accustomed to being okay with that as if that itself is the picture of the biblical church. And I'm here today to say, I'm sorry, it's not. And don't you want to be with God in what God is saying the church is supposed to be? And I say this with so much trepidation because there's not an ounce of judgment in my heart towards anyone else. Somebody asked me recently, well, how can you even acknowledge this other church because some things that happened there were not biblical? I said, I'm not responsible for them. They're not in my care. They're not people God has brought to me. So I'm not going to waste my energy judging them. Does that make sense? So there's not one thing in my heart that's looking at any of these other groups with judgment or saying you're wrong or should be doing something different. My place is to say, as the pastor of this church, what is church? And what is God calling us to? And what is it supposed to look like? How did the church become? That's one of the big questions I've been having. How did church become what it is today? Like, where, where did this format come from? Why Sundays? It's a very legitimate question. When you look in the Bible, the Sabbath at Jesus' day was Friday night to Saturday morning. How did we end up with church on Sundays? How did the Sunday become the Sabbath? I feel like I'm on like an episode of Bill Nye, right? I'm gonna, <laughs> how did we get here? Let me show you, pull up some sort of map or something. And there are a couple books I can tell you, the 2000 years of church history, they're a little dry, but they do kind of bring some information about how we got here. And I was fascinated to learn that it really emerged out of just the evolution of time, not because God said the church should be on Sunday. And when I go back to these two scriptures that we just read, what I find missing is all the details of how to do this thing, church that Jesus so adamantly cares about. And I hope I'm striking questions in you to go on this journey with me to try to figure this out. This is not a one-time thing. I'm not going to explain all of this today. This is going to be a process that we go through together. But here's some of the things that I found in my, in my research. Uh, this is what I found. Number one, people, human people, love tradition. We love it. Go back thousands of years of history. We love tradition tradition. It's just human nature. Number two, people fear being outside of God's will. Human nature. They don't, maybe their God is different than our God, but we all kind of have this feeling. So here's what I mean by that. I had a friend who was, uh, uh, grew up in a cult, like a legit cult, the Westboro Baptist kind of cult. And she was told every day of her life that if she wore pants outside of a house, God would strike her down. That's what she believed. Uh, she also believed that if she put alcohol into her mouth, you're struck down. Same goes with tattoos, and I'm sure there were other things. When she got out of the cult, one of the first things she did was went and bought a pair of pants. Because as a thinker now, she's realizing there are women out of the home wearing pants who are alive. So what is that about? And I will, I will never forget listening to her tell me this story. She said, I put the pants on, I opened my front door, and I stepped out. 
and I waited because I didn't know what was going to happen. And she was like, I waited for about 30 seconds and realized I was still alive. I hadn't been struck by lightning, so I took a few more steps. And then I went and got a tattoo. (laughs) And I was like, why wouldn't you, right? I mean, why wouldn't you? We fear being out of God's will. And I think because we are afraid of being out of God's will, we cling to tradition because we also love tradition. And we all know people in a tradition are still alive, so God must not want to smite them. And you might be saying, well, how would anybody think God's going to smite somebody? Well, then there's that story in Ananias and Sapphira that nobody can really figure out why is in the Bible. I mean, seemingly good-hearted people, which I would submit to you, they were not good-hearted people. They were actually there for very sinister motives, had given their hearts over to Satan, which is not just a thought that you acted on. That's like a pattern of something in your life, but I digress. So Ananias and Sapphira show up to Peter, and boom, the life is sucked out of them. Like when I'm not going to get into a Star Trek reference right now. But there they are, dead on the ground. And so the rest of us are going, how do we avoid that? (laughs) And if I think maybe I'm going to be out of God's will, if I, for example, don't go to church on a Sunday, uh, or if my church goes on a Wednesday night, or my church meets somewhere else, all of a sudden I'm like, but those people who go on Sunday are still alive, so maybe I should stick with that. Now, I'm going to guess nobody in this room or that's watching right now has actually had that as a conscious thought that God's going to strike you down. I hope not. But we do this on a very subconscious level. We don't want to break tradition because we don't know what's going to happen if we do. Another observation I made. People really enjoy having a leader tell them what to think. This is very true from this last week. The leader that you want to talk to you might be different than the leader that I want to talk to me, but we all want somebody to tell us how to think. It's just basic human nature. And here's the last thing that I observed in my deep dive about church and how did we get here. In the Gospels, Jesus appears to have full confidence in himself as the head of his people. Right? I don't read one moment where he's even hesitating that he is their God. I don't read one moment. He might be hesitating in how to explain or present something, but I don't even think his hesitation is probably more just pause for dramatic effect. But he is very confident in his ability to lead you. Very confident. And it makes me go back to King David when the, in that time period where the people were looking around and they were going, you know what, those Philistines, they have a king and it works for them. And the Hivites, they have a king and it works for them. And God, we want a king. We don't want a prophet who's talking to us like you. We want a king that we can like, have revered and have crowns and feel special when they invite us to their house. We want that. And God's going, why? Read the story. And God is saying, you don't want a king. I'm your king. You don't need a king. Well, Lord, it's not really about what we need. It's what we want. And I would say to you, the American church has that same thought process. Well, Lord, it's not really about what we need from you and the move of the Holy Spirit or how you want to operate or how you want to gather us together. It's what we want. We like this. We like the way it looks like this. We are Americans, and this is how we do church. Okay, It didn't go so well for the Israelites. God gives them a king like they were asking for. We know how that ended with Saul. So then God goes, I'm not giving you what you want. I'm giving you what I want. A king after my own heart, who was really a complicated person. A very complicated person. And uh, that's a sermon for another time. But what I'm fascinated with is this thinking that God has always felt his place was to be our king. 
our Lord, our leader, our pastor, our president, that when we are in Christ, that is how Jesus views it. Oh, I'm in charge here. Grant and I always joke, and if you've come to any of our, I think you probably all have come to our new uh, member dinners and stuff, and we always tell the story where Jesus says to Grant, oh, that's a good idea. I thought I was in charge. If you want to be in charge, you can do that. I might show up from time to time. And if you've never heard Jesus say something like that to you, it's, it's equal parts hilarious and terrifying. Oh, no, Lord. <laughs> you, you, you're in charge, right? You get to do what you want. And I would just say that Jesus is in charge of this church, and he has very specific opinions of how and why we do the things that we do. So all of this begs the question, what about the American church is right? What is just merely tradition? And what is biblical? And then what is wrong? Flat out wrong. These are the questions I think we need to be exploring over the next several weeks. Here's the thing. Not every tradition is bad. Some of the traditions, they just are, and it's not a big deal. For example, classic Wartman Saturday, okay? So uh, I don't know if it was Eli or somebody that said this for the first time, but they, one of my kids had asked me a while back, are we going to have donuts tomorrow? And I said, well, yeah, probably. And uh, they go, yep, classic Wartman Saturday. Because in our house on Saturdays, we typically get donuts. We're friends with some uh, Vietnamese pastors that own the donut store across the street that way. And so we go on, Saturday, on Saturdays and see them and buy their donuts and have a terrible start to a weekend of eating things we probably shouldn't. And, I, uh, and here's the thing. You might say, well, that tradition is bad. I would just say to you, it's a classic Wartman Saturday. That's what we do. It's how we are. Occasionally, we're there too late, and we miss the better donuts, and that happened this week, but it's all right. Um, <laughs> I'm digressing. So, so some of the traditions, they just are, right? They're not right or wrong. But other traditions actually are wrong, and we actually need to take responsibility for looking at them and saying, are we participating in this, okay? So let's just talk a little bit about the traditions of church. If we had more time, I'd pull up the whiteboard and let you guys like throw out all the things that you think about. But what I want us to do is look at traditions of American church with a fine-tooth comb and ask ourselves these two questions right now. Number one, is it biblical? And then number two, does this tradition help us move the kingdom forward? Here's what I think and what I believe the Lord has been putting on my heart. Some of the things that we hold sacred as church are actually hindering our ability to reach people. And I just want to pose that as a question to you that we explore over the coming weeks. Some of the things I think we hold sacred as, as beliefs about what the church should be or do might be causing us to not be able to get into the momentum of the Holy Spirit to bring about the, the movement he wants. I'm not even going to use the word revival because revival is something that sometimes comes and goes. I'm talking about changing people's lives forever. And I think that's something we need to get really honest about in this next season. So here we go. Some traditions that there are. Um, Sundays, meeting on Sundays. If you're wondering, it came about in the first church, and it really uh, has nothing magical about it. <laughs> I've heard people say that in America, the reason why they picked Sundays was because that was like the break in the farmer's schedule, and so it was easier for, it was the day they literally, it was literally the day they could gather. Um, I don't know. I just know that people have been meeting on Sundays for a long time, but it's not really in the Bible to say it has to be on Sunday, because if you look at the Bible, the Sabbath was actually Friday night, so just something to think about. Here's another one. This tradition... We're just going to have to buckle up for these, okay, because uh, some of them we like a lot. Um, rows, rows of chairs. So I've shared with you guys before, and when Jesus was preaching in the synagogues, they were U-shapes, right? 
and uh, they actually didn't really preach to an audience that wasn't giving feedback like you guys are right now. They preached and they debated, because we Jews like to be feisty. But we Americans like Rose. We want to show up to church and just encounter and have it be given to us, and we don't participate, like a movie. That one is not necessarily biblical. Uh, the Greek, the first church in Greeks, Greece was actually more like around a table in a circle. So just in case you're wondering, how did we get to Rose? I don't know, but we did. Another tradition American church has, the welcome, worship, tithe, and preaching. What would it be like if I preached first? Some of y'all would miss it. It'd be too bad, right? But maybe even saying that is, so then are we okay with missing the worship? It's kind of, an, I'm just saying, just think about it, right? It's just an interesting thing when we really start taking a fine-tooth comb to it. Here's another one, and hear me. Remember, I have a bunch of kids. Uh, kids ministry and youth and even small groups. All of these are traditions of the American church. I mean, the disciples really wanted kids ministry. That was a good idea to them, and Jesus was like, no, bring them to me. We're all together, right? Not every kids' ministry is bad. We obviously have one. Okay, but just think about it. Kids' ministry is a tradition of the American church. Slides. Slides. Words for songs. It's a tradition. The way, the type of clothes that we wear. That's a tradition. Somebody preaching every single week. That's a tradition. The staff slash salary structure, or really even just the idea of vocational ministry as a whole, is a tradition. In the Bible, okay, okay. And I know you guys don't care because none of you guys are really objective. I mean, this doesn't subject to you, apply to you. But in the Bible, people weren't really paid to be like pastors and youth pastors. Like you pitched in and you met everybody's needs, but vocational ministry was not really a thing like it is in the American church. Not dogging it, I'm just saying. So some of these traditions are fine, not necessarily biblical, not necessarily bad. Some of them, I think, are hindering. We're going to talk about that next week. But here's what I want to say. Uh, I want to tell you guys a story about the clothing perspective. So I was at a dinner a couple months ago, and I had one of those moments, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, where the whole room goes quiet, and all you can hear is one person talking that's not sitting at your table. And um, I had a really frustrating experience because this woman at the table next to me was talking about church. And I had just been, that whole week, God was speaking a bunch of this stuff to me. And um, so it was front and center of my mind. And I couldn't tune her out. And I was trying so hard to focus on the people that I was eating with. And I just couldn't. All I could hear was her. And it was a, a woman, an older woman, and her, what I would assume to be is her sister and her niece. And the niece was talking about, you should come to my church. I don't know what church it was. And the older woman said to her, I would never come to your church because people don't dress up there. And I had to exercise the Holy Spirit self-control because I wanted to just flip her table over and start explaining theologically why everything she was saying was so wrong. And that's the flesh, not a word of knowledge. So I didn't do that. Um, but I'm, I cannot get her out of my head. And she starts saying on and on, there's something so amazing about putting on your best clothes, is how she's saying it, and going to church and everybody in the room is in their best clothes. And then when you leave, you just feel like you went to church. And I would just never feel that way at your 
your church because everybody shows up in whatever they want and it just feels sacrilegious to me. And then she told a story about her dad as a little girl and how her dad had these best Sunday jeans that he would put on and she remembers his belt loop she'd hold on to and how special that was to her. And I'm not trying to make her feel like a bad person. Her thinking was just completely garbage, okay? <laughs> well, I said it. So... Uh, <laughs> But here's the thing, as I'm fighting this urge in me, I, I'm, I'm like, God, help. And he goes, no, I want you to hear this. And I was like, why? Because I'm at this dinner with this person I want to talk to. And he goes, because this is the thinking of the bulk of people in your state. This is the narrative of the spirit of religion. I think what this woman was saying is, I don't care if Jesus himself was preaching at your church. If people, if I don't leave feeling like I went to church, never going to go back. And she's wrong in so many ways. But what I think it exposed in that moment and what I've been just thinking about and processing with the Lord is this idea that we have created an institution around something that's more like a club than it is the spirit of God. And we, as Oklahomans, have a responsibility in that. Not that we're complicit, but that we provide a clear enough distinctive difference to say, that's not actually the Bible. I'm not going to shame you for participating in that. You might choose to group around people who do like clothes in that fashion or whatever. But we have to be clear, just because you feel like you went to church doesn't mean you actually did. And here's why. Traditions are patterns and habits. That's what they are. And if you know anything about the brain and how the brain works, what, when we deviate from pattern, it doesn't feel right. This is why diets are so hard to follow. Because we have a pattern of all the things that we like, and when we start to deviate from that, now we don't feel normal. But it's because you're changing what your normal is, right? So when you leave and you feel like you went to church, you need to ask yourself, when you leave today, if you're like, man, I just went to church, which I hope you feel, you need to ask yourself, why? What was it about that that created that feeling? Was it God moving inside of you? Then yes, take that to the bank, preach it to Facebook, tell all your friends, whatever. But if it's because you just felt right, do you guys see what I'm saying? And we have to take a fine tooth comb to this stuff, and, and here's why. I, I was asking the Lord, how did we get here as Americans and specifically as Americans in the Bible Belt? And what I believe with all of my heart is because it's the spirit of religion. And I want to talk about the spirit of religion today because if we don't begin to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with what religion is speaking to you, we don't have a hope of participating in the move of God that he wants to bring. What I feel like the Lord was saying is that the spirit of religion is an imposter God an imposter God. What he's been saying to me is that the spirit of religion has come and has the audacity to try to be like God, to God's people. And the end goal is to rob heaven of the glory of God. Because it's not going to affect your salvation, but one thing it's going to do is make you think you're saved for people that aren't actually saved. What do I mean by that? If you are not surrendered to the Lord Jesus, you're actually not following him. You can show up to church every week. You can leave feeling like you went to church. You can check every box, sit in your row, tuck your kid at a kid's ministry, et cetera, et cetera. And if there's not a thought in your mind about Jesus from Sunday at noon to Sunday at 10 a.m. the next week, you are probably not saved. And I know this is an intense thing to say, 
But I've been asking the Lord about evangelism for a couple of years, and one of the things he said to me last year was this. He said, Rachel, you're going to find a lot of lost people inside of churches. And I don't like that thought any more than you do. It's disappointing to me. But what I know is that people who love Jesus, who know Jesus, who are surrendered to his will, look different than the typical Christian in Oklahoma. We do. Because we're the ones who are actually believing him. And I'm not saying we as if collectively in this room or something. Like, that's not what I mean. All across our city, we've got amazing, spirit-filled people. But you're either with Jesus or you're not. And we have to actually get toe-to-toe with that and say, if you're not, okay, how do we get you with him? It's not a shaming thing. It's not to say you're terrible or anything like that. It's to get honest so that we can actually do something about it. Amen? So I want us to look for what the spirit of religion does. And help us, Lord. Here's what I know to be true. I'm going to read out a bunch of things that I believe the spirit of religion does to us. And um, what I want us to do is to take a moment to just ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate in your own heart. Do I believe any of these things? Again, this is not a shaming thing. This is a thing to make sure that we're with Jesus where he is going. Let me, let me tell you for a second before we get into this list about what a principality does. So in Ephesians 6, we see these rulers and principalities and spirit, evil forces in the air, right? This is biblical. Jesus, in these two verses about the church, actually talks about binding and loosing. That in the heavens, they're trying to tell you something, but you as the church have permission to bind that up and not let it affect you. It's so fascinating to me that the only only two verses about the word church are also about binding and loosing, but that's a sermon for another time. So if I had an umbrella, this is what I would show you. Instead, I'm going to use my uh, nine-year, eight-year-old's jacket that desperately needs to be washed. So no judgment. Okay. If I, if I am this water bottle and I'm just an, an average person living my life like we all are, I'm receiving light from every light that's in here. Okay. And, and this is the difference between principalities and ter- territorial spirits than uh, the spirits that Jesus cast out of people in the Bible. Territorial spirits you don't deliver from. They don't possess you. They, they, over, they like overshadow you, okay? And so the difference is when Jesus casts out spirits from people like the little boy who's trying to throw himself in the fire or the Mary, Mary or the Legion guy or all these other people, those were spirits that possessed them and that's a little bit of a different thing and we're not gonna get into that. But the territorial spirits, they sit in heaven. They are empowered by our agreement with their thoughts and the more we agree with their thoughts, the more we receive their light, okay? And how we combat that is to do what Romans tells us to do, which is to renew our mind. And when we do things like Ephesians 6 tells us to put on the full armor of God, we actually cover ourselves like this so that now this water bottle is not subject to the light coming over anymore. It's still the same bottle. Nothing has changed about the bottle except what is impacting it from the air, from the external size. I can't tell you if it's actually in the air or where it exists on the actual plane. But that's how it works. Does this make sense? So what we have to do is begin to say, look, if I don't want to be under the stronghold of the spirit of religion, I have to figure out what is religion and then erect something over me, which is the blood of Jesus, to keep that out of my thinking. Here's where it gets dicey. Principalities don't just go away. They don't. 
And so it's not going to be a one-time thing. It's a consistent renewing your mind. A couple of years ago, probably seven years ago actually, I noticed that when I would go out of town, and I'm not saying this is for all people, I'm just telling you for me. When I would go out of town, I would have completely different thoughts about church than when I would when I was here in Oklahoma City. And I was asking God, why is that? It bothered me. And he began to talk to me about the spirit of religion and the thinking, and, and this is just human nature. This is not wrong or sinful. It's just how we are, that we glean from what we're around, what's normal. The bigger churches, they impact us even if you don't go there or listen to their sermons, because it's a cultural thing, right? And it affects us, and we have friends and all these things. And, um, and the Lord told me, he said, for a while I'm going to need you to get out of Oklahoma City a couple times a year. And I was like, that just seems so weird. He said, when you, you have to get out from underneath that territorial thing so you can hear me clearly and make sure that you're being objective and balanced <clears throat> until I could figure out what are these thoughts. I, I know some of you guys might be like, I don't understand this. Let me put it this way. If you go into Boston or New York or Connecticut or Delaware or really Maine, if you've ever been to Maine, wow. Um, these are very beautiful places to visit. And the thinking of the people who live there is radically different than Oklahomans, right? Very different. You're going to find a, the God of New England is the God of intellect. If you want to get to those Ivy League schools, the, their principality has to do with intellect and other things as well. And so you're going to find you don't feel the same things when you're in New England than you do when you're in Oklahoma. Now let's go to the West Coast and look at California, Oregon, Washington, same thing. Very different way of thinking than us, and also very different way of thinking than New England. Part of this is culture and pattern. Part of it is ruling territorial spirits. Now, I didn't really necessarily intend on doing a big day on spiritual warfare today, so if you've got questions, please don't hesitate to send them to me. I'd love to talk about this with you later. But what I think we need to understand is that we are kidding ourselves if we think we don't have any in Oklahoma. They're just more polite here than they are in other places because they understand our culture. So let's look at what the spirit of religion does. And Holy Spirit, we are just asking that you would illuminate in our hearts any place where we've come into agreement with this thinking. And Father, give us the courage to come out from underneath that in the name of Jesus. The first thing, and this is not an exhaustive list, although it is long. The first thing that the spirit of religion does is it counts success in ministry as the number of people that gather on a Sunday. Look, if you've ever felt or said that church is really successful, specifically related to the number of people that go there, that is the spirit of religion. Because when God measures success, he looks at obedience, he looks at surrender, he looks at the internal heart. You, we've had pastors tell us, uh, I'll never forget this, a couple years ago, one pastor who had 400 people in his church, and we had about 10 or 20 at the time. And, um, but our 20 were passionate lovers of Jesus who were reading their Bible every day and really engaging with heaven. And he said, this other pastor said, in a second, in a heartbeat, I would trade my 400 for your 20. Because I cannot get my people to read their Bibles on a consistent basis at all. I cannot get them to show up to a prayer meeting. I cannot get them to fast. And we, were, we just sit there like stunned. What? But you all know, we know that this is a thing in Oklahoma, right? So when we start to think we're measuring success by anything external, you have to know that is the spirit of religion. Number two, the, the spirit of religion wants you to believe that church is a duty to be performed. If you have ever felt wrong about yourself because you didn't show up to church on a Sunday morning, it's probably religion. 
I do want you to come. So let's just clarify that, right? But I think we need to understand where our motivation comes from. The next one, looking like a Christian is very important to the spirit of religion. Emphasis on the word looking. Looking like a Christian. Uh, The spirit of religion emphasizes how other people see you and that becomes more important than how God views you. Have you ever interacted with somebody that you know is doing stuff they shouldn't be doing, but they're quoting scripture, they're acting like they're talking, over-talking about their church, they're saying things like, oh, I'll be sure to pray for you, oh, what, what can I pray for you for? But you know in their spirit, they're not surrendered to Jesus, that's what religion looks like, and that should be an indicator for us that religion is alive and well in Oklahoma. I want to be clear, the word religion obviously is an okay word when we think about the categories of how we shape this is a religion, this is Buddhism, this is, okay, so I understand that, and I don't have a better word to call this principality, so if you do, you can tell me. Um, All right, the next one, spirit of religion says, the more sinless I am, the more favor I will get. It's about works. At the end of the day, it's about what you can do to get something from God, which is not what the Bible says. Um, Spirit of religion would tell you, sin must be kept private at all costs. Again, because the spirit of religion wants you to micromanage your sin. It wants you to be so sin-focused that you don't encounter the grace and loving mercy of God. When you are adamant about encountering the grace of God, and not to give you permission to sin, but to empower you, you will find the strength to overcome the sins that you're facing. But as long as we look at the sin and everything that it's doing to us as a bigger issue than, than what the grace of God can do in our lives, we're listening to the imposter God not the true Lord Jesus. Um, Next one. Unsaved people are dangerous to be around and will corrupt me. This this is the spirit of religion. This is the best way I can explain it. If you have ever thought, and I want to be clear, I have done every single one of these. I have thought every single one of these. So this is not like a, oh, look at me, I'm so free from religion, because then I'd probably be indoctrinated in pride. So, you know, also not good. Um, I've done every single one of these, but this one is so interesting because as, as believers, we have bought into the lie that the evil in the world has more power to corrupt us than we have the power to influence it. And the reason we believe that so strongly is because we've misinterpreted what the Bible says and, and we've misinterpreted because the imposter God, religion, has tried to convince you that you're not as strong and empowered as you think, that Jesus inside of you is not as capable as you think, and he'll give you all types of examples of people who fail. Now, I'm not saying, there are scriptures that talk about bad company corrupting good character. I'm not saying that you're invincible, but I'm saying that we are not supposed to be living in this bunkered down world where we only hang out with Christians because we are afraid that we're going to be tainted by their sin. That is not biblical. Um, here's another one. Okay. Whew, I can feel it. We're going to, it's going to get worse. I'm sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> this was not so bad, but my standing in my church community matters to me the most. This is a very religious thought. How we are, how we appear to our church friends is more important than how we actually are in our life with God. This one, I won't be able to navigate my day without spending time with Jesus first. Okay. That is a true statement as well. But let me just tell you, this is the reason why this one made the list. A friend of mine who I love, who is an amazing woman of God, had an Instagram story this week, and she said, um, 
I woke up today and I didn't spend time with the Lord and I made the mistake of getting on Instagram. And within a few minutes, I was so overwhelmed with just all of the thoughts and the comparison and the, the, just the nature of what's going on this week in, in our nation. And I, real, I was like, why do I feel this way? And I realized it's because I forgot to have my quiet time this morning because I opened Instagram before I opened my Bible. And so I had to shut it down and go spend time with the Lord. And now I'm back here and I'm fine. And I was like, on one hand, what a beautiful sentiment, right? But on the other hand, your opening your Bible doesn't create this force field around you. The beliefs in your heart and the blood of Jesus create the force field around you. How are we supposed to live in this world if we cannot interact with it unless we first spend an hour with God? What happens when you wake up late for very normal, non-threatening, non-sinful reasons? Are you just doomed? I remember after Jack was born, my third kid, I remember just being like, I will, I will be a sinner for the rest of my life because I'm so tired. And I would go to, I would get in my bed at 7.30. I had, Jack was a baby. Uh, Callie was like not even two. Eli was four. I mean, it was a, a really tough year or two. And I remember thinking to myself, I'll never spend time with you again, Lord. I am so sorry. I'm so embarrassed that I'm supposed to be like a pastor's wife. We were youth pastors at the time. And, and I'm just like a sinner. Like, I, I want to, I want to be with with you, God. And I was like, the next day I would go, I got to get up. I'd set my alarm and I would just sit there and be like, are you there Lord? Because the weight on my eyelids is crushing my very soul. And I felt like I was disappointing God. And I will never forget the Lord saying to me, Hey, Rachel, I would prefer you engage with my spirit while you wash bottles tonight. than you get up at 6am to try to read your Bible. All the moms are like, yes, thank you. And what I encountered through my dishwashing 20 minutes was the presence of God would start to wash over me and I felt victorious. And then I didn't know what to do with how I could feel victorious without reading my Bible. That feels very sacrilegious. And it's because it is sacrilegious, right? Because when we come out of the thinking of religion, we go into the thinking of John 15 to abide in the vine. And when we are abiding in the vine, sometimes the vine takes you to the word. Sometimes the vine takes you to prayer. Sometimes the vine takes you to a donut and all of it can be considered the Holy Spirit. When we get out of this thinking that we are somehow shamed and we remove ourselves from God's presence, we come into the thinking of saying, Lord, you're sitting there right next to me when I was too hesitant to fast forward through that scene on the show. You're sitting there right with me when I'm wiping tushies for the 10th time today. You're sitting there with me when I'm mad at this person. All of it is God. And when we begin to encounter him and his grace in each and every moment, now we're not operating under religion. We're operating from the vine, which is what God is looking for. Yeah. Amen? I want you to spend time with Jesus, okay? But I want you to do it because it's out of the overflow of the passion that's in your heart. And if you are forcing yourself to do it, then the question is not, how do I become more disciplined? The question is, what am I believing that's causing me to not be interested in what you could do for me when I spend time with you, God? At this point in my life, there are days that I don't spend any quantifiable time with God, meaning I set in somewhere quiet, and those actually become the days that I'm the most alive, when he's dropping thoughts in my mind, when I'm hearing a song and just worshiping it in the moment, and I end up spending time with him the whole day, which I guarantee you is what he's going for. Help us, Lord. 
Second one, the next one is, I see myself as a bad person if I miss my quiet time. I think I covered that one. Uh, This one, I prefer my church service to be predictable. Really, we could just say, I prefer my church, anything that follows that statement is probably religion. Unless it's like filled with the Holy Spirit, fire of God, those things which religion does not want you doing. Um, All right, why do, this is a good one. It's probably the spirit of religion if this is a thought you've had. Why do those people have to be so loud or weird when they worship? Now, you come here, so you're used to it at some level, right? But, and I I want you to know, it's not bad to think that way. I've spent years of my life, I still have this thought sometime. Like, I told you guys the story when I got my license and the person's screaming behind me, and I was just like, really? Like, right now? You know? But it happens sometimes. But what I'm saying is when we come in and we have these judgments, that is typically the spirit of religion. All right, a couple of more, and then we're going to wrap this up. I know we're going late. Um... Spirit of religion would say to you, I feel more like I've been to church when everyone is wearing cute or nice clothes. I see other people's sin as an indicator of how much they love God. Refusing the, holy, the spirit of religion wants to get you to refuse to engage with the flow of the Holy Spirit because of how others might think about you. Uh, this is another one. Judging a church by how cool the people are or how really anything, unless it's something from the Bible when we judge churches, that's actually the spirit of religion. And this is the last one. Thinking the act of going to a building on a Sunday morning is more important than going into the throne room. Again, what we're going for here as a people is that we are abiding in the vine and letting him take us where he wills. And that doesn't always look like how the American church feels is acceptable. And what I want to do to wrap up this morning is I want you guys to know (laughs) that we are going toe-to-toe with this principality this year. I'm inviting you to go on this journey with me because I can't do it alone. We can't do it alone. But what I know is that God has positioned us here and what he wants to do is rip the blinders off so that people begin to see what this imposter God is actually doing for them and they come under the true lordship of Jesus. And that's gonna require you and I to get bold about it. I don't know how that's gonna look yet, but I know that he's calling us into that. And one of the things that happens with that is that people begin to have opinions that are probably not, nobody's gonna bless you to go hard after Jesus. Have you figured this out yet? It's not in the Bible. It's not in real life. When you go hard after Jesus, people typically don't go, oh, I'm so excited. You finally decided to get on fire. And so we have to be ready for that and deal with that in our hearts. Look, we, we as a church, we have, and, and the global church as well, we have to get this season right. The season that we're in right now, we have to do this right. Be in line with God partner with what he is doing and stay out of all of the narratives that are from this world and from the kingdom of darkness and make sure we are laser focused on his narrative. And for us, this is part of it. I heard a statistic recently. I don't think it necessarily applies to Oklahoma, but it is a study from an American group of people that said 50% of people no longer believe there is a God. And if that's happening on the coastal states, it will get here unless we do something about that. I believe what God wants us to do is to send from the heartland out the the message of what Jesus actually is all about. But we've got to be willing to lay down our traditions to make that happen. What I think has happened, especially in the Bible Belt, is that church and God has become morality, not relationship with a person. And people are rejecting morality. And here's the kicker. Nobody was supposed to choose morality for the sake of morality anyway. 
morality, holiness is always a byproduct from our desire to be like God and know him and be with him. It's always a first is relationship, second is how we act. And so when we're asking people to conform to a way of being before they have that being inside of them, it's never going to work. I think that's part of what's happened in America. So here's where we're going to land. I, I want us to take a second and actually actually repent for any of these things that, that the Holy Spirit just highlighted to you um, so that we can renew our minds and just have a, a restart. Because what I feel for myself and what I feel for us as a body is that fear and tradition, they cannot be more important to us than the leadership of Jesus. Amen? We have to be more concerned about what Jesus is doing in this moment right now and how we are in line with him than anything else in our life. So I'm just going to ask you, Michelle, would you play? Do you mind? Um, I'm just going to ask you guys to just close your eyes for a second. And Holy Spirit, um, and if you guys are watching online as well, please just, just partner with this moment. Just close your eyes, quiet your heart. Holy Spirit, we are asking for you to move, for you to illuminate, for you to give indicators on the things that we are thinking and feeling that are contrary to what you want. Lord, would you illuminate right now the things that need to be repented from? And I'm just going to take a second and let you interact with the Holy Spirit, and then I'll pray for you in just a minute. It's okay to repent for things that, <clears throat> that you thought and believed. So Lord, right now, I just come almost uh, by proxy for our city and for the surrounding cities of Oklahoma City and all the ways that we have chosen to listen to the thoughts of this principality we have chosen to allow religion to be, to pose in your place, to be an imposter in our hearts. And Lord, today we repent for that in Jesus' name. We thank you for your forgiveness. And we make a declaration today that we are going to move forward being aware of the way that these thoughts hinder our ability to connect with you. Lord, we want your true Holy Spirit to overwhelm us, to fill us, and to guide us into all things. And we refuse to allow religion to rob heaven of any more glory than it already has. And so God, would you anoint us this morning, empower us this morning to be your hands and feet, to help people get aligned rightly with you. And Lord, whatever comes this year, whatever challenges we face, whatever difficulties may be, we know that being in you, and being with you is the most important thing in our lives. And so we release that again, that declaration again today, that we are going with you whichever way you lead us. So we give you permission to speak to us. We give you permission to convict us. We give you permission to come into us and shape us and mold us and grow us in this time. And I just release, I just release Romans 12 to over each and every one of us that we would renew our minds, that you would expedite the process of renewing our minds. I pray the blood of Jesus over every single one of us, that we would stand firm against the thoughts that come against you and your word. And Father, I pray a blessing over every person here this morning, that we would go 
and we would go with power and we would go with joy and we would go with hope because no matter what comes in our way this next year, this will be our best year yet. This will be our year of abundant flowing in you. This will be our year of abundant revelation of, the, of just creativity and wisdom and insight. And we are asking for more of you in our lives. In Jesus' name, fill us up, Lord, again and again and again. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Amen. If you guys need prayer for anything, please feel free to um, come grab me afterwards. I would love to pray for you. Uh, This is a process. We're going to kind of be talking more about this over the next couple of weeks and probably months as well. Not that it's going to be boring. It'll be interesting. But uh, I really just want to encourage you to come on the journey. Amen? Come on the journey with us. So I love you guys. I'm so proud of who we are as a people. You guys are amazing.